0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by the Skyway Community. The community is now offering personal memberships for only $20 a month. For all the details on that, listen to the very end of the episode where I lay it all out. Our topic today is small business regulation changes. There's been a lot lately and meaningful changes. All right, let's get started. The Small Business Administration issued a final rule that includes significant changes to small business regulations. In this episode, we're going to provide an update on on some of those changes.
1: These were detailed by uh, Shelley Hall in the email that comes out every week from the Skyway members called This Week in Government Contracting. The final rule imposed sweeping changes to the rules small businesses have to live by. These changes are implementing language from the 2016 and 2017 NDAA, which stands for National Defense Authorization Act, and other acts dating back as far as 2015, but they're effective on December, they were effective on December 31st of 2019.
0: There's a whole bunch of changes in here. We're going to talk about three of them, what it means when a large business doesn't meet their subcontracting plan requirements an emphasis on the ability of contracting officers to do a set-aside within a set-aside, we'll explain that later, and a big change in how small business size standards are calculated. Before we get into that, let's stop
1: and say thanks. Thanks to all of our podcast listeners for telling a friend or or, or co-worker or or frenemy (laughs) or whatever about the podcast. We do this because we care about GovCon. We want to make it better. And we thank you for joining us in this mission to make government contracting better one contract at a time.
0: We've launched a free podcast every week for over five years now. What allows us to do this for free are the folks who have taken the next step and become Skyway community members. I usually talk about that at the very end of the episodes, so listen to the end if you want to learn more. Thank you again for being a podcast listener and for sharing. All right back to our topic. The Small Business Administration amended its regulations to implement provisions of, of the NDA in 2016 and 17 and some 2015 stuff, as well as to clarify existing regulations.
1: Usually these are minor updates that kind of go under the radar. This time, they're, they're big changes.
0: We're only going to talk about three of those changes and only at a very high level. Way too many for a single podcast. Usually, our podcast episodes have FAR time where we cite some specific paragraph of the FAR and talk about it. These changes we're talking about will roll into the FAR. What happens is the SBA issues a final rule to amend the Code of Federal Regulations, and those changes then ripple down into the FAR and all of the sub-regulations in their own due time. So we're not going to quote a specific paragraph It'll be there someday soon or maybe already if you're listening to this years from now. Let's get specific about the impact of the changes that we're talking and why we chose to include these 3 in the podcast. Sometimes final rules and regulation changes are are much ado about
1: nothing. It's
0: little tweaks that don't impact much.
1: Sometimes these are small changes that don't have much of an impact or, or only have an impact on a tiny subset of industry.
0: This time it's different these are sweeping changes that impact all small businesses and large businesses who have committed to small business subcontracting requirements in their contracts. And that's the first one we'll talk about. Not meeting the small business goals laid out in your small business subcontracting plan can now be considered a material breach of contract. This rule says that contractors have to make a good-faith effort To meet their small business subcontracting plan requirements.
1: Good faith is subjective, but it's a lot less subjective than when it used to be called a goal. And now it's a requirement. The government's done their best to define what good faith means. But the fact is it's no longer just a goal that you magically march toward. It's it's got a consequence of not meeting it.
0: If you don't meet your requirements, it can be considered a material breach of contract. And at a minimum that's going to be used in future past performance evaluations and could be a hit on your CPARS.
1: And at a maximum, it's extreme, but it could be a T for D, a termination for default because you're in breach of contract. That's a big deal.
0: It's a big deal. This used to be sort of a nice to have, like you said, it was a goal. But how how hard of a, how how firm of a goal was it? Yeah, you laid out your small business plan goals and you did your best to meet them. But if you didn't, what happened? Uh, probably not much. It, it, I'm, I'm sure in some cases things have happened. Now, I guess Congress got tired of that, that we really weren't doing well with subcontracts because it wasn't strong enough. So these changes make it really important to meet those small business subcontracting goals.
1: This is critically important because sometimes, including contracts that I've actually awarded, The offerer's ability to meet the subcontracting goal was an evaluation criteria. It's one of the ways they won the contract. So if we weren't able to ding them on whether or not they actually did that.
0: So all they had to do was write a proposal that says, I'm going to beat these outrageous subcontracting goals. And you're like, that's great. You get kudos for that. We're going to award because you have such a great subcontracting plan. And then you never do any of it.
1: Yeah, you could could write a subcontracting plan that said, I'm going to try really hard.
0: Yeah, this fixes
1: that. Right.
0: Next change that we're going to talk about, set aside within a set aside. If a multi-award contract has been set aside for small businesses, so only small businesses were awarded this particular MAC, this final rule specifically affords discretion to an agency or a contracting officer to set aside orders under that MAC for those subcategories of small business. So you could set aside an order under a MAC that was set aside for small businesses already, you could set aside an order for just hub zone small businesses or just 8As or just women owned small businesses or just service disabled veteran owned small businesses.
1: This is a clarification that can really help contracting officers narrow down the competitive field because now you can go in a layer deeper, right? You started out with small businesses. And you know that this is something that the four hub zone companies or the four women-owned small businesses can do. So instead of sending it out to the 50 companies that are on your multiple award contract, you can send it out to just those four. And you're still getting competition. You're still within the bubble of the contract.
0: And this helps the small businesses really limit the competition to other small businesses of their same class. If they're doing their job and targeting and shaping inside the MAC, the contracting officer may not know that there are two or more. 8A companies that were awarded that MAC that can do the work. So if you're one of those companies, if you tell the contracting officer, hey, 8As can do this, you may only have to compete against one or two other companies rather than all 50 of them, like you said.
1: This is a critical benefit because one of my favorite reasons to do this, it'll make things go faster. (laughs) Right. Fewer proposals, fewer distractions, more targeted efforts. Yeah, it's a good thing.
0: It helps the contracting officer get to that magic number of proposals to evaluate three. (laughs) You love that. All right. Next change implemented by this final rule. And to me, this is the big one because it impacts every small business. It may not impact you now, but it could and will. If you grow small business size standards are calculated based on your annual receipts. So the dollars, the revenue of your company. If your revenue hits more than a certain number, hey, you're no longer a small business. You now count as a large business and have to do all that stuff that large businesses have to do. Historically, your receipts, your revenue has been calculated based on a three-year average. So if the threshold is $25 million in, in receipts, and last year you made it to $26 million, but the year before you had 22 and the year before that you had 18, you're not a large business. You're still a small business because the average of those three years is less than the $25 billion threshold. This change now makes that averaging period five years instead of three. Wow. That just extended the life of small businesses across the country.
1: The, the reason this is a huge benefit is that it gives at least a two-year extension to the time that you're a small business. And probably more than that, depending on how fast your revenue is growing. And, and something to consider is that this, this is based on your NAICS code. So that $25 million uh, example you gave, that's for a particular type of professional services. It could be $25 million, $15 million. It could be $7 million, depending on the NAICS code. To learn about NAICS codes, which stands for North American Industrial Classification System, we covered that in episode 80.
0: This is pretty cool. If you were close to or just over the threshold for your NAICS code, you may have become a large business last year. And now you're a small business again. That's worth popping a bottle of champagne for. We
1: we have at least two of our customers that went through this very experience. One is they just went over and now they're they basically got an extended life as a as a small business. The other one, they projected they were going to be a large business in 2021 and now it's at least 2023. Think about getting additional runway for your strategic planning. That's that's a huge benefit.
0: Getting to stay a small business, not having to do all of the compliance things that large businesses have to do, and being able to compete under the small business rules is a huge benefit.
1: It keeps you from having to write a subcontracting plan for at least yeah. two more years, right?
0: <laughs> Among many other things.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: All right, let's stop and link these changes to the acquisition and execution time zones. If we're talking market research zone, this is where that set aside within a set aside would come up. This is where the government is, is saying, hey, do we have enough 8A contractors that can do this under our Mac? If so, let's set it aside. During the RFP zone, that's where the the averaging of receipts of revenue over three years or five years might come into play. Now that it's five-year average, that changes whether or not a company can bid on a RFP that has been set aside for small businesses.
1: During the execution time zones, the first place this is going to come up is during the performance zone where you actually have to meet the large businesses actually have to meet the subcontracting plan requirements. And they're going to be starting to see that in their CPARS (laughs) if they're not meeting them.
0: This also matters during the recompete zone because where it was just a goal before that The government could say, hey, this contractor didn't quite meet their goals. Eh, So what? Now, it really counts against you if you don't meet your small business subcontracting plan requirements. So what was just a recompete where you were the incumbent and competitors didn't have much of a chance? If you did everything well, but didn't meet your small business subcontracting plan requirements, now you have a ding against you in past performance. Or... You could have been terminated, I guess, if if things went poorly, really poorly. It, it gives your competitors a leg up if you didn't meet those sub, small business subcontract requirements. And it might make it so that the government has difficulty awarding you the new contract, even if they want to.
1: If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones are in episode number three and the execution time zones are in episode number 84.
0: Now let's get specific about why the government cares and why industry cares. I think we've already said most of this. For government folks, these long-time rules can change, which makes a difficult job even even more difficult. You have all these rules in your head. You know how you've been operating for years, and now something changes that makes, oh, geez, that's not what we do anymore. That's not how you do it. That's why organizations... often have, have a team of people, agencies often have a, a staff of people who track all these rule changes and then flow them down through their, their agency or organization level regulations, policies, and procedures.
1: Things change. The subcontracting plan change, it gives us some teeth. I mean, it basically makes it instead of it just being a goal that they may or may not meet now, they have to meet it. Or they to have to show good faith toward meeting it, particularly in those cases where I gave them the contract. Based on their their evaluation criteria, how well they would meet it.
0: We talked about how the set aside within a set aside can really narrow the competitive field. That's good for government folks. We for for contracting officers to get to get less proposals from qualified contractors to have to evaluate fewer proposals not less i know you're going to say it's fewer not less to, <laughs> <laughs> to receive fewer proposals that that's a good thing right less time evaluating proposals faster award better for the mission
1: this is a great way for the government folks to target is you can target within the contract that you have to that subset of of types of companies So we always talk about industry having to target. This is a way that the government can target. It's very effective.
0: And the last change that we talked about, the the change from a three-year to five-year averaging period for for your receipts for whether or not you qualify as a small business in that NAICS code, you might not think that benefits the government, but think about it from the perspective of expanding or or extending the small business pool. You can use small businesses for longer they, they, they last a little longer. So you get bigger, more mature, small businesses who get a couple more years to perform before they become large
1: businesses. The, the cool part for me is that a lot of companies were just hitting their stride in professional services when they hit about 14 or 15 million. And it's just when they stop being a small business. In other words, I'm just getting used to using companies of this ilk They're professional. They've got a good, like you said, they got a, they're sophisticated enough. And all of a sudden I can't have a set aside for them anymore. Well, now you get two more, at least two more years of working with these sophisticated, successful small companies. They don't feel small because a $15 million business is not a tiny company, but it's also you know not giant. So it's right in that sweet spot. It's, it's, a, it's a great solution.
0: We did an episode that we called, I think, what is a medium-sized company? And it talks <laughs> about right. all the challenges of, like you said, a small business is just hitting the stride and then they become a large business. They're not ready to be a large business and do all that stuff but they're too big to be a small business by the rules that were set up. And that's where a lot of businesses run into problems. This actually makes the challenge of being a, a medium-sized company a little little easier.
1: That episode called, what is a mid-sized business? It was actually episode 99, so okay. good memory.
0: Good, all right. Who knew? 99, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Flipping over to why does industry care for the small business plan subcontracting goal change. Ouch, you can now have a contract terminated for something that was previously sort of sort of a best efforts thing at many agencies. In,
1: in air quotes. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean, at a minimum, it's going to haunt your past performance evaluations where before it might not have been mentioned.
1: And, and that's a big difference. I mean, the odds of a, a T for D coming out of this, it's okay, that's close to zero. But the odds of it showing up as a black eye in your CPARS is actually pretty high. Because this is the first thing I would jump on if I'm looking at your performance and saying you didn't subcontract on any of this like you said you would. And I again, I keep foot stomping this. And I awarded the contract to you because you said you would. I could have used this change a few times in my career as a contracting officer.
0: For the change involving multiple award contracts to set aside for subcategories of small businesses, Industry Cares, I think we covered this pretty well. Because now you can shape to your specific small business subcategory and compete against a smaller
1: field. It allows you to build your relationships within a contract. You can more effectively cultivate the contract because if you're building a relationship with the user and you're, and you're proving your past performance, you now can get an advantage inside the contract you have. So you can cultivate that contract even better. The impact of your shaping actually increases.
0: Before you could have been trying to shape it towards you, but you still have to compete against 50 companies if that's how many have the Mac, but now it could just be a handful. I'm most excited about that last change we talked about, the change from a three-year to a five-year averaging period for annual receipts. That's huge. Your company gets to be a small business for longer. That change from small business to large business is extremely painful. That, that's a tough time to get through when you, when you are one of those medium businesses. There's a lot more things that you have to do from the compliance side, and you have to compete with the big boys now.
1: I, ironically, I suppose large businesses aren't particularly happy about this. <laughs> no, no
0: you're you're right. they They were going to have fresh meat in in small <laughs> businesses that have have graduated to be large businesses but aren't really ready to compete with them yet. Now those companies get to stay small businesses for longer.
1: That's interesting to see see how the mid-sized government contractors are doing, you know, ten years from now. so we'll, we'll revisit this topic and see how it played out,
0: ok. I think that's good for today, Kevin. I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. I'll see you, Paul.
0: Okay. That's it for today. As I mentioned at the very beginning, the Skyway community allows us to do this podcast for free. And we've recently revamped the membership levels based on listener and member feedback. The first level personal memberships gives you access to all of the training tools, the blogs, the webinars, mini trainings for only $20 a month. If you need guidance on specific issues, the next level, professional memberships, give you access to the Ask a Contracting Officer forum, where you can post a specific question and get an answer from our team of former contracting officers. There's also premium memberships, which include monthly consulting hours from our team. Premium memberships allow us to build a relationship with your company and get to know you and really guide you to that next level in the government acquisition world. To learn all about it, go to skywaymember.com. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast, and we'll see you next week.